Here's Galchenyuk, dancing and scores! And now it's Gallagher. Gallagher stepping in and shoots, scores! Alex Galchenyuk up with a drop, quick edits, he's in alone, waiting, scores! This is the Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net with your host, Chris G. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 212 of the Habs 360 podcast. My name is Chris G, and you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980. Coming up in today's episode, it is part two of our best of moments of the second half of the season of the Habs 360 podcast. We'll replay my discussion with Jeremy Filosa, Montreal Canadiens beat reporter from 98.5 FM Sports, who joined us to preview the Habs in the postseason, and my discussion with CBC Montreal sports anchor Douglas Gellivan, who came on to recap the Habs Rangers series and to look ahead to the offseason. On Valentine's Day, Mark Bergevin announced that Michel Therrien has been relieved of his duties as head coach and replaced by Claude Julien. On the February 19th episode, Rick and I discussed the firing and we started off by listening to the post-game comments from Carey Price in Boston, which ended up being Michel Therrien's last game behind the bench. I don't know, we just seem to have lost our identity. Um, you know, we're, we're a little loose. Um, I think we just have to uh, take a step back and, and get refocused. And we also carry price talking about losing the identity. And just watching that game, I, I sent a text to, to Rick. I sent you a text and I wrote, so I think it might happen. It was able to tell that from the body language, not only from the coach, from the players, uh, from the way that you were playing on the ice, that, that it had to happen. It, it was just too obvious to me. Rick, how are you feeling after that game? Well, uh, it was it was a rare point of agreement. Um, when I got your text, I I, I agreed with you 100. Um, percent Whether you're a, a, a cheerleader for uh, Michelle Terrian or, or whether you've been critical of him, uh, after that game, uh, it was pretty evident that he had lost the players. Um, I, I that that was that was such a that was such a litmus test, such a pivotal game because it's the Boston Bruins, the most hated rival of, of the Canadians and wherever the Canadians have been in the standings um, when they play the Bruins, it's an intense game uh, over the years. Uh, it, it doesn't matter, you know, the, the, the gap in the standings between the teams or anything, always an intense game. That was the most uh, lackluster, uninspired Bruins Canadians game personally I've I've ever witnessed and it was just kind of a clear indication to me that that the Canadians were were no longer listening to the uh the messages that Terrian was was delivering um and I must say when we did the podcast last week I I I was uh skeptical 
of whether the change would happen. I, I know lots of people were. Elliot Friedman said, no, this is not going to happen. And it's probably because of uh, Mark Bergevin's um, loyalty uh, and the fact that, you know, through the disaster last December um, uh, of last season that, that uh, Bergevin stood by him. But, but something was really different after that. Bruins game and you, and you, you hit the nail on the head. Yes. After that game, uh, it opened up the possibility of, of it happening. And we know now that it was after that game, it was late Sunday that Mark Bergevin reached out to the Bruins for, for permission to talk to Claude Julien. And, and as everybody, I think it was reported uh, from Chantal Maccabé uh, right after, I think it was the day after the announcement was made, so on Wednesday morning, uh, she went on 91.9 FM here in Montreal, and she said that uh, following the game against uh, the Arizona Coyotes, uh, she had an off-the-record talk with uh, with Michel Terry. She ran into him at the hotel after that game. He was outside uh, having a cigarette, and apparently he told her that he knew that if uh, things uh, don't turn around quickly, that he could possibly uh, be losing his job. And, you know, coaching a team for five years is not uh, something that happens uh, frequently, in not only in hockey, but in the professional sports in, uh, in general. So he still had a, a decent stint when it comes to length with uh, the Montreal Canadiens. And... One of the questions that uh, Mark Bergevin was asked at the uh, the press conference was about that meeting that he had with the leaders, with Shea Weber, with uh, Carey Price, and Max Pacioretty. And while well, we heard Max Pacioretty downplay it, but let's hear uh, what uh, Mark Bergevin said about that meeting. I want to be clear on this because that was blowing it out of proportion. Just want to make sure that everybody understands that I'm clear on this one. Michelle and I had a meeting in the morning, and we're talking like we talk every day. Uh, and I mentioned I was going to meet some players and to join me. And Michelle said, "You know what, Mark? Today's a day off for the team, for the coaches. You know, maybe you just maybe you just go along." So Michelle was aware aware of the situation, and it was not about Michelle telling in my conversation. It was very. I'm not going to go into detail what we talked about, but it was not about Michelle. And uh, if I want to do a meetings, and I think I'm a little, little more common sense, I'm not going to sit in the lobby in a hotel. So uh, it was a meeting about our team, and Michelle was well aware, and it was blown out of proportion. So just want to be on the record on that one. So, Rick, Mark Bergevin is there, was downplaying the importance of that meeting. But when we find out that two or three days after that meeting that uh, Mark Bergevin asked permission to the Boston Bruins to speak to Claude Julien, it's um, you can pretty much imagine what was said during the meeting, and maybe the players didn't specifically call out and ask for Michel Thierry to get fired, but it must have been made clear to Mark Bergevin that a change uh, had to happen. Well, I think that um, given Mark Bergevin's comments, we were dead on when when we described um, the the nature of the meeting and and. Uh, you know, I, I, I said at the time uh, um, um, that 
Yeah, it it wouldn't have got out if Mark Bergevin wanted it to be a secret meeting. It it wouldn't have got out, and as he said, he wouldn't have met in the lobby of a hotel. So it was just um, a clearing of the air, and uh, it, I think that's the the phrase that I used on the the podcast last week. And and so maybe, um, as you say, during the the clearing of the air, it became um, to Mark Bergevin that. Um, the coach's message wasn't wasn't he he knows what Tarion says to the players, and if the players aren't aren't spitting that back to him, he knows that the message isn't getting through. And I think it's really really clear. Uh, it was clear to me beforehand that the message wasn't getting through, but um, it, it was clear afterwards um, that that the message. Um, hadn't been getting through when you listen to the players there there was there was not a lot of of um kind of outward uh criticism of Terrian other than than uh, perhaps uh Patteron. but Kerry Price said um when talking about the change it's not only a new game plan it's not only new tactics but it's the team accepting and implementing the new the new game plan and insinuating that that they just weren't accepting what the coach was, what Terrian was saying, and they weren't able to implement what, what the coach wanted. Um, so I think from Bergevin's conversations with the with the leadership group, um, he was able to to understand that and perhaps move him along um, as far as yes, a, a change was going to be necessary. Well, let's hear uh, just a, a, a couple of clips from uh, Carrie Price and Max Patrick who commented on uh, the firing. Uh, well, I think surprised with everybody else. Um, you know, I think it's always a, it's always a big move when you see see a head coach get moved. But um, when I heard who we were hiring, I was also excited. Michelle was great here, and uh, first and foremost. Uh, you know, it was really hard news to hear him uh, get fired because he was so um, made such a big impact on myself and, and my career. So that was uh, first and foremost. Um, you know, when I got that news, it was pretty upsetting. But you know, now worrying about the future, uh, you know, it's exciting that um, you know we're able to come in and guys uh, maybe get a little bit of a clean start. He's- and Rick, whether it be from, I know we just heard only from Terry Price and Max Patretti, but there is a, a bunch of audio available for from other players as well. And like you said, except uh, Craig Patterson, and even if you look at the press conference of uh, Mark Bergevin, it seems like they were still like protecting their old coach. It wasn't a type where they threw him under the bus as soon as the news was out that, uh, that he got fired. No, and you'd expect that, particularly from Max Pacioretty. Max Pacioretty was saying, not Max Pacioretty things, he was saying the captain of the Montreal Canadiens kinds of things. He was saying all the kinds of things that the organization uh, wanted out there. Um, you know, Carey Price, if you read between the lines, there was there was a lot more meat there, and, and there was... Um, you know he's a he's a careful person. He's a thoughtful person. He's not a a person that's going to throw anybody under the bus. But you know he's also an honest person. And and if you read between the lines, there was some indirect criticism, let's say. Um, and that that was that was the same case for um, 
uh, Jeff Petrie, when, when, when he, he spoke, there was some things he said that was kind of, um, you know, he, he talked about um, the new coach um, saying that, that they should just go out and play and, and not to worry that, that, um, that Julian would make changes on the fly. And that was something that they hadn't had before with, with Tarion. Um, Patterson, as we said, was, you know, talked about Tarion breathing down his neck. I think there was just a, a feeling um, of, of uh, a, the, a lack of trust by the coach in his players that, that they all felt that they were on a, on a very short leash leash and couldn't make mistakes. Um, Listen, I've, I've, let, let me say something good about, about Michelle Terrian. Um, oh, wait, wait, I need to start the recording. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, okay, it's, not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be long. Um, Jacques Martin was a better coach than Guy Carboneau. No question. Guy Carboneau, I, I, when I went to practice as at Broussard, there was Guy Carboneau practice, your leader for uh, Michel Therrien, or, or whether you've been critical of him, uh, after that game uh, was was a bad coach, um, and he couldn't communicate with his players. Jacques Martin was a better coach than that. Having said that, Michel Therrien was a much better coach than Jacques Martin. So there's been incremental progress. Tarion brought in a, a, a structure. He brought in a system. Be, criti- be critical if you want of it. Uh, and he brought in discipline, which was, which was needed at that time. Because uh, it, it kind of got out of control with the Jacques Martin into Randy Cunningworth. The, the team got out of control. So he brought in, in discipline. All great. Having said that, the kinds of tactics that he used, the kind of system that he used, you can be critical of him because I, I mean, you whether 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 you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, or you look at the Montreal Canadiens. Michelle Therrien teams are at the bottom third in the league in shots for, always always been that way. They're in the bottom third of the league in shots allowed. They need a good goalie, Carey Price, to win. Michelle Therrien rode on the coattails of 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 Carey Price. So if you look at his tactics and systems, you may say, oh, he's a mediocre coach. Um, you know, the score, uh, Hockey News, they all ranked Terry in around 25th in the league out of 30 teams. Okay. But I think what, what was difficult and what, what came to the parting are, are, are when it goes a little bit further. Terry's stubbornness, his inability to adapt, his inability to adjust on the fly, that makes him a bad coach. And, and his inability to communicate with the players, but destroying confidence, making, making his team very fragile, that makes him a very destructive coach. And that, that's where the point where, where it's gotten to now. The, the team is fragile, and it's going to take a lot you know, Julian's going to come in and make and we're going to talk about Julian later, but he's going to make his tactics changes. But his biggest job is rebuilding the confidence of this team. I just want to add to your list of some uh, positive things that uh, Michel Therrien did uh, during his tenure because Michel Therrien has his, uh, his part of the blame on the team's uh, lack of success in the last stretch. 
in uh, all of last season as well. Definitely agree that he has his part of the blame as well. But he did do some positive things uh, during his tenure, and I think uh, people easily uh, dismiss it. So I'm just adding to uh, what you mentioned earlier, Rick, because I agree with that as well. Uh, this was the longest tenure behind a Montreal Canadiens bench since uh, Scotty Bowman. So that one thing is a is a positive. So he must have done some good things to stay with that team for so long. Uh, when he came in, he took a team that was last place in the division in the league, and he made them to a playoff team for three consecutive seasons, and that included a, a conference final appearance and a total of three playoff series uh, wins. Uh, under his tenure, Carey Price, he had his MVP season where he wiped out, he, he collected all of the awards and uh, brought them home. Uh, we had P.K. Subban, who won the Norris Trophy during the uh, the shortened season. Uh, there was a couple of players that the Canadians picked up. So, well, I should say Mark Prejovin picked up. And while they were no names for other teams, and they became somebody's. But I mean somebody's, I'm not saying they became superstars. But one player that I could think about right away that became rich, and you could thank uh, Michel Therrien for that, is uh, Dale Weiss who is now the Philadelphia Flyers, and he isn't doing much. Uh, we have Max Pacioretty, who, has, who is almost a, a 35 to 40 goal scorer every season. Uh, I think there's Brendan Gallagher, even though he slowed down this year. He, he was consistently scoring at 20 to uh, 25 uh, goals uh, this uh, every year. And if you look at Michel Therrien's overall record as a coach for the Canadians, he had a record of 271, 198, 23 ties, and 50 overtime losses. So that's a record of over 500. So I think those are just a couple of uh, the good things that uh, Michel Turner did uh, under his uh, tenure. Now let's hear uh, Mark Bergevin on uh, one of the reasons why he decided to let go of uh, Turner. To come uh, I have my own opinion on this, and uh, it's there's things I have to keep internally, you know, uh, how I feel about our team. But at the end of the day, I just didn't feel the guys performed the way they should have. And uh, yes, we had some injuries. Yes, the guys step up, they play well. But uh, you know how tight the NHL is today, and uh, we've been healthy, and just there's a sign that uh, there was something. Mark Bergevin had his reasons that he isn't sharing, and while well, the public has its own opinion. Popular belief was that Michel Therrien was let go too late by the team, but in my opinion, he did more good things for the team than he gets credit for. We're going to take a break. Still to come, our discussion with uh, Douglas Galvin from CBC Montreal, who looks ahead to the Canadiens' postseason. But coming up next, Jeremy Filosa joined us to talk about the Habs heading into the playoffs and a lot more. Stay with us. This is the Habs 360 podcast featured on allhabs.net. Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? Looking to follow the St. John's Ice Caps or the Brampton Beast more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about team prospects. Would you like a place to socialize with hockey fans all over the world? We've got what you're looking for at allhabs.net. The place where you'll find everything you need to be the most informed and connected Habs fan around. Allhabs.net 
I bet you enjoy sporting your best Habs jerseys, dressing up your kids and pets in the cutest Habs gear, and showing off your decked out hockey cave or fan ink. Well, don't just show your friends, show your Habs. The team at All Habs wants you to boast your finest pictures for our global network of Montreal Canadiens fans. Include the hashtag ShowYourHabs when posting your fan photos on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Then log on to ShowYourHabs.com to see your entries, along with photos and posts from Habs fans all over the world. A proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network. Habs 360 is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. In addition to building a worldwide network of sports fans, the team at RSM is also dedicated to mobilizing the sports community in ways that make a difference in the lives of others. Giving back to the community bridges the gap between team affiliations. It's something any fan can support. RSM proudly provided support for organizations and projects like Hockey Fights Cancer, Five Hole for Food, the Montreal Canadiens Children's Foundations, Autism Speaks, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada, and the People of Canada Portrait Project, just to name a few. If you would like to be involved with a Rocket Power project or have a worthy fundraising initiative you'd like us to be part of, please contact us at rocketsportsmedia.com. This is the Habs 360 Podcast, featured on allhabs.net. Welcome back to episode 212, part 2 of our special best of edition of the Habs 360 Podcast. I'm Chris G, and you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980. On April 8th episode, Jeremy Filosa, Montreal Canadiens B reporter from 98.5 FM Sports, joined me to look ahead to the playoff series between the Habs and the Rangers. But before talking about that, I started off by asking Jeremy about Philip Deneau winning the Jacques Beauchamp Award over Paul Byron. Jeremy had quite a take. <laughs> Very good question. You know what? That's the question everybody was asking themselves at the game this, uh, this week. Um, you know, everybody I asked actually told me they had Byron first and most of them had Deneau second. So how that worked out, I'm not exactly sure. And now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I wouldn't put it past the Canadians to actually <laughs> trick the ballots, you know, in order to make it, uh, you know, to make the winner the guy that they want up there. Byron won last year. Uh, I remember uh, Mark Streit won two years in a row with the Canadians, but maybe, I don't know, they wanted a French-Canadian to win. I mean, listen, it, Deno obviously is a close second, uh, we all agree with that, but to have a guy like Paul Byron, who's, let's say the truth, when they hired this guy, he was supposed to be a role player, and he comes in and scores 20 even-strength goals, that's just insane. So, you know, starting from that point on, uh, I don't know how you can not give it to him. And like I said, I mean, I- I'm-, I'm surprised because everybody I spoke to after uh, the announcement came out, told me they had Byron first and Deneau second, and then there was a multiple uh, choice for uh, for third for most people. And honestly, like if Paul Byron would have won the award, like there wouldn't be any complaints. I think everybody would have understood. Everybody knew it was between both of those players. So right. it's, uh, 
so I was really puzzling how uh, how that happened. But <laughs> either or, I think Dino is still a good choice. It's not uh, it's not like yeah. um, completely uh, rip off or anything. It was still a good uh, right. candidate for to win it. Right, right, uh, right. But sometimes stuff happens around the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens, and it, it it becomes a mystery, you know. And we search <laughs> for answers, and we don't really always find, unfortunately. <laughs> And Philip Dano, he got the opportunity to play for a good chunk of the season as the team's uh, number one center, uh, yes. because of because of Alex Galchenyuk and his struggles mostly on the defensive side of the game. Uh, last right, night, right, face-off circle also, I would say, yeah, yeah. And uh, Claude Julien last night also mentioned in the French press conference that you know he needs to work hard, like more effort. Uh, how can you? Can, can we say that Yalchenyuk has regressed in his development? Uh, let's remember one thing. Last year, when he was racking up those points and goals, the team was already out of playoff contention. Those games meant nothing. So I think, you know, he, he picked up some goals last year where I think we, we had expectations that he could score 30 goals this year, but I don't think that was necessarily realistic. Uh, you know, the, the catch-22 with Galchenyuk is if you have him at center on the first line, then you have an issue in the face-off circle, you have an issue uh, defensively, but then if you don't put him on that line and you decide to put him on the wing on another line, then you're not giving him the same quality uh, line mates and his progression or his, um, his production uh, is reduced. So it's sort of a catch-22. I mean, I think with the years to come, Galchenyuk will improve in the face-off circle, will understand more how to play defensively because people have to understand something. And I know he's been in the league a couple of years now, but players like Galchenyuk, they, they never learn how to play defense because these guys grow up and they're so good and all their coaches tell them is, look, just put the puck in the net. Coaches want to win, also in the juniors. And when they have a guy who can put the puck in the net, the only thing they want from him, is to put the puck in the net. And uh, then they get to the NHL, and this is true for Galchenyuk, but it's true for a bunch of other players of his type. Then they tell them, okay, you got to be able to play defense. And the guy pretty much says, I've never done that in my life, ever. Like, I'm starting from scratch. And Galchenyuk never had the luxury to learn in the American Hockey League. He went straight to the NHL, so all of his learning he's doing here. In front of our eyes, all the mistakes, we see them all. Uh, and so that's a little bit of a disadvantage for him. Uh, I still think Galchenyuk uh, will continue to, uh, to progress. The situation right now is that the Habs are in the playoffs. They are trying to do their best to win this year, and we can see that if he does remain on that first line, it becomes a problem. So obviously Dano is not your long-term solution, but he's the only guy you got right now. Let's say the truth. I mean, it would be a shocker if the Canadians made it to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, but the window opportunity is open, and they're going to try the best they can to get there. And that doesn't mean things are not going to change uh, you know, during the playoffs if things don't work out with Dano on the first line. The problem is, if you get to that situation, chances are the Canadians are probably uh, in trouble in one of their series. <laughs> so if we don't win tonight, uh, you guys are probably panicking right now. No? I wouldn't be panicking. I mean, it's your job to panic. Right? Well, I don't panic. I don't I'm, just, panic. I'm just a guy. I pick things. I don't panic. <laughs>
So that was the Mitchell thing from about over a week ago, talking about panicking. Uh, the, Julia, the you mean. Their, Yeah, yeah, sorry, Julia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they lost their, their last two games. Is it, is it time to panic, or like we really don't care about the, these final games of the Canadians? Don't care. Don't care at all. The only thing that's important for them is to keep, keep a high compete level, uh, keep guys' uh, fitness level high, and not get hurt. That's all they care about. Actually, tonight there will be a bunch of guys not making the trip to Detroit. You probably already know. Uh, you know, Emlyn, which we're still not sure about for the beginning of the playoffs. Weber's not going. Uh, Pacioretty's not going. Radulov's not going. Price is not going. Markov's not going. So they obviously don't care. The game they decided to give everybody was last night, pretty much. And tonight's going to be a night off for everybody. It's unfortunate because they're closing up Joe Louis Arena tonight, so you would have hoped for something a little bit better for, for the Red Wings. But they'll be playing for nothing. The Habs will be playing for nothing. There's no point in taking a chance. You've played all year to earn the right uh, to get those couple of days off, rest some players. You finished first. Good for you. That's what you get for that. And uh, they're taking advantage of it, and good for them. I would have done the same thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's no use in sending those guys out right now. And the result for the last two games, I couldn't care less, as long as they're ready to go start Wednesday night. And even uh, Sergeyev was called up from the juniors, yep. and uh, he's going to be playing tonight as well. Uh, yeah, he so was we know the winter, con- so, you know, it's easy for him to just get to Detroit, plus they decided not to bring Mark off. And uh, so, you know, He'll get a, another NHL game. Good for him. So we know the Canadians' uh, first on the opponents will be the New York Rangers. Most likely, it will begin on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, how do you think mm-hmm. the Canadians match up against the New York Rangers? Man, it's 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 hard to tell. I got to tell you, this is I don't remember the last time the Canadians were involved in a playoff series where I really couldn't, you know, wrap my mind around how this series is going to go. The first thing I'm going to say is. I think this is not going to be a very exciting series, unfortunately. With Vigneault and Julien, you can expect uh, very tight checking hockey, not many scoring opportunities, a bunch of blocked shots, a bunch of broken up plays. Uh, I I think the the Canadians have a little bit of an edge just because the Rangers are really not sure about Lundqvist. Uh, Is he actually going to be in front of the net for all of the games? For the Rangers, he's had an up-and-down year, actually even more down than up, I would say. Uh, Carey Price has had an up-and-down year, but but Lundqvist has been worse. So at least Price has been consistent since Julien has taken over, so i got to give him a little bit of an edge there. Also, what I like about the Canadians is they've started getting the secondary scoring they were getting early in the year when they were winning all those games. And, you know, all of a sudden they're turning things around. Byron's been finding the back of the net. Gallagher, Lekkonen. And if you're going to make a serious run of the playoffs, you need those guys to put the puck in the net once in a while to score you a big surprise goal. And so just the fact that these guys have gained some confidence back, just the fact that going into the dressing room the last two, three weeks, I've seen Gallagher smile again, which is awesome news, because if that guy gets going, he's the type of guy who can score you a couple of big goals here and there out of nowhere. Um, the, the thing about the Rangers is, you know, you've seen their, their goal – Goal average this year is over three goals per game. Uh, they're one of the highest scoring teams in the league, so they do have that capability. Uh, so that's the advantage I'm going to give them. Uh, I think the Canadians win this uh, series in six, and I really hope to see some fire in the, in this team's belly. Uh, this is the same team that bounced the Canadians 
uh, what, three years ago when Kreider took out mm-hmm. Price. And, I, I, I mean, if I'm in that locker room, I want revenge, big time. And I don't need no motivation to go out there and want to kick their ass. And we've seen the Canadians' power play has been struggling. Uh, how mm-hmm. important do you think it will be, like, in this first-round series against the New York Rangers for them to, to step it up a bit on, on uh, the power play front? Yeah, power play is key all the time. I mean, special units have become so important in this game. There just aren't that many five-on-five goals. So you know that your special teams have to work in order for you to have success. The problem is it, it's sort of a mystery. They have the pieces to play on the power play. Uh, you know, there, there's one thing that, you know, about hockey analytics that I'm, 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 uh, I'm curious about, and I'm not going to really take the time to get into it because I'm not a, an analytic, analytics specialist, but you got two minutes on the power play. Power plays are so crucial. They're so important. You got two minutes. It's mathematics. The more you cycle the puck, the, the less chances you have of scoring a goal because the clock, you know, goes down. So that's the one thing I don't understand about the Canadians. They cycle the puck a lot when they can actually get into the, uh, the opposing zone and they just waste a lot of time. You got one pass, two pass, put it to the net. One pass, two pass, put it somewhere near the net. Do whatever you – I understand that most shots are going to get blocked, but the second you get the, mo- the box to move in front of you, put the puck to the net. The more times you put the puck to the net, the, you know, the higher your chances are of scoring goals. The more you cycle – I mean, if you're cycling for one of the two minutes, that's 50% chances of less of scoring a goal. So I don't understand why they waste so much, so much time cycling. I've spoken to some uh, members of the Canadians organization about that. They, they remain very secretive. All they keep telling me is we know what we're doing, we know what we're searching for, and uh, that's pretty much all they're going to tell us, obviously. It becomes very uh, – uh, strategic from that point on. And since February 14, uh, the Canadians, at least in terms of wins and losses, uh, I think they're the best in the league, one of the top teams in the league. Uh, coincides mm-hmm. with a date where um, Claude Julien took over from Michel Terrier. Uh, since right. then, what do you think has changed with the Montreal Canadiens? Listen, sometimes all you need is a new message. I mean, the Boston Bruins also turned things around, getting rid of Claude Julien. So I don't think, you know, we should point the finger to Terry and say it was his fault. But clearly, uh, you know, Carey Price has been much, much better under Claude Julien. Uh, You know, people who tell me he just didn't want to play for Terry anymore, he wasn't hustling, I really don't believe that. Because when you're a professional hockey player and you make it to the NHL, the only speed you know is 50. Uh, the reality is he's turned things around since Julian has been there. Maybe he had lost hope that this team could do anything interesting with, with Terrian, and he was just becoming nonchalant, not moving as fast, as quickly as he normally would, and, and the Canadians were struggling. So I think the main thing uh, that has changed is the play of Carey Price. And uh, because we can't say that, the, you know, the offense has been pouring in goals. Uh, the defense has been okay. It's been suspect. But uh, I think all in all, the difference is Carey Price has become himself again. And uh, that's pretty much it, I would say. I agree with Jeremy that Carey Price's performance since the hiring of Claude Julien was a big factor on the team's turnaround. Coming up next on Half360, my discussion with Douglas Galvin from CBC Montreal 
as he recaps the Habs Rangers series and more. Stay with us. This is the Habs 360 podcast featured on allhabs.net. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, log in to allhabs.net, your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. If you missed a recent episode of the Habs 360 podcast, visit the podcast page on allhabs.net or search Habs 360 on iTunes for our archives. Want to make sure you never miss another episode? Subscribe to Habs 360 on iTunes and all new episodes will automatically download for you. Don't live close to Montreal? Ever feel like you're the only Habs fan in town? Chances are good that there are plenty of fellow fans just around the corner. And HabsTweetUp.com will help you find them. If you're interested in hosting a hockey party in your city, visit HabsTweetUp.com for more details. You'll be connected to other Habs fans near you in no time. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. We are specifically interested in individuals who have education and or experience in the following areas, sports writing, translation, editing, forum administration, social media administration, multimedia, graphic design, web development and user support, event planning, and sponsorship and marketing. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit allhabs.net and click the Join Our Team tab today. This is the Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net. Welcome back to episode 212, part 2 of our special best of edition of the Habs 360 podcast. I'm Chris Gene, you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisGene1980. On April 29th episode, Douglas Gallivan, sports anchor from CBC Montreal, who was covering the series at home and in New York for CBC, joined me to talk about the upcoming offseason, but I started off by asking Doug what went wrong for the Canadians in that series. Well, I mean, Bergevin built this team to play in close games, but I don't think he expected the scoring to dry up to the level that it did in the end. I mean, you look at an elimination game in game six, and the only player that's scoring for you is a guy by the name of Alexi Emelin. I mean, it's nice to get a goal from him, but if he's the only one scoring for you in your last uh, five periods plus overtime in the playoffs, you've got some uh, deep issues going on there. So I don't think it's revolutionary to say that the scoring drived up, dried up for the Montreal Canadiens. That ended up being uh, their downfall. Uh, you know, when you have a guy like Pacioretty, 35 goals in the regular season, zero goals in the playoffs, that's just not good enough. You have a guy like Alex Galchenyuk, a highly touted sniper that you were expecting to play up to a guy going into a contract year play uh, above his ability, sort of uh, make that money for next year, and he's he's a no-show as well. I think those are the two biggest uh, players that you can point to as far as the failing in the 
offense goes. And then if you want to go even a little bit deeper, I mean, you can point the que- the, the finger at Shea Weber a little bit as well. Uh, the Pabs power play uh, didn't get it done in those final couple games, and Weber was a guy who they brought in to uh, provide that. And, uh, well, he did bring some other things to the, to the ice, uh, and the fact that the Montreal Canadiens did play some pretty solid uh, defensive and hockey, uh, uh, you still have to look at the fact that they just didn't score enough to get it done. I mean, if you throw want to throw a couple flowers at the Montreal Canadiens at the end of the year for something that they did do properly, it, you, you look at that defense. I mean, they didn't allow very much on the New York Rangers side of things. So if that's the way that you're trying to build a team, kind of a shutdown style, they did enough to shut them down. What was it, 12 goals minus uh, the two that they uh, – or 14 altogether, I think they allowed. Uh, two of them were empty netters, but 12 goals and six games I mean come on that's uh, should be enough to uh, win in the playoffs you just need to score uh, three or uh, or better to to win each game and the Montreal Canadiens just simply weren't able to do that and now you have to look and point your finger a little bit at the general manager I mean uh, it was the trade deadline that went by and he came out to the podium at uh, the uh, practice facility in Brossard and he said like this is uh, what we're going with, and uh, I think we have what we need to win close games, and they just simply uh, didn't have it. And five years into this term of Mark Bergevin, people are starting to wonder, what, what, do, you do, what do you say here? He's had his uh, opportunity to, to build and grow or go get a number one center or even a number two center, and the Montreal Canadiens end up get, getting taken down by the fact that they didn't have that guy that they could lean on when it mattered most in the playoffs. So if you look at uh, the first couple of seasons when uh, Mark Bergevin took over the team, uh, I think Habs fans in general were super excited. Everybody loved Mark Bergevin. But is it safe to say that uh, that honeymoon is over between Habs fans and the GM? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the honeymoon period, we've we've eclipsed that. I think last season when they didn't make the playoffs, that was a pretty testy end-of-year press conference. I don't think there was any illusions at that point that the pressure was on Bergevin. Uh, of course, the fact that he's got that big contract extension in that year and he's on for another five years makes it a little difficult to kind of move on from him. But, you know, he's had five years and it's completely legitimate to now start wondering, you know, is he ever going to come through and get that player that uh, a, a team needs to win the Stanley Cup? You look at the teams that go ahead and are advancing in the playoffs, they have uh, big-name guys up the middle, and the Montreal Canadiens just don't have that. And one of the things that was concerning to me was when Bergevin was speaking at the end of the year and uh, kind of hinted to the fact that maybe we're going to have to win without a number one center. And the question was raised, I mean, well, can you give me an example of a team that doesn't have a player like that? And the best he could come up with was that Jonathan Taves isn't uh, a, a prolific number one center in the, in, the, in the definition that we were kind of placing it under, and the Chicago Blackhawks were able to win with him. And I'd you know, the, the Habs don't have a guy of, of his level in, in, in that uh, area. So you have to kind of now, it, I mean, should – pardon? Yeah, isn't Philip Dano Jonathan Taze? <laughs> <laughs> well, Philip Dano is a certainly an NHL player. We'll put it that way. But as far as number one and number two, I don't think that that's going to get it done. But uh, listen, I mean, it's been five years. And Bergevin's kind of moving the goalposts a little bit here by saying – you know, maybe we can win without it. And also, you got to wonder from a fan's perspective now, should 
the expectation even be that he is going to go out and develop or get that number one play center up the middle for the Montreal Canadiens because it's starting to look like uh, when he turns to the media and he says, well, listen, guys, I mean, I'd love to get that piece. I mean, we've been trying to get that piece, but hey, it's really hard to do that. And people that have that player aren't going to be giving up that player. And then he turns around and says, no excuses, but it's just really really hard. So what should the expectation be from fans? Should the expectation be that this is just not going to happen within the next five years or within the next couple of years? Or should the expectation be that he's still working on it and it is going to happen and we can kind of hold him to that if and when it doesn't uh, turn out that way. So he's kind of put himself on both sides of the fence here. I'm not sure what the strategy is behind that. But I I also understand a, a guy in his position who has failed at this point to deliver on that reasons why that didn't happen and reasons why he's still worth the money that he's getting paid to build a hockey team that is uh, fundamentally flawed up the middle of the ice. I mean, there's a lot of nice pieces there, and we've always kind of applauded Mark Bergevin for what he's able to do with third and fourth line guys and depth players and get them onto a team. And you can't win without those guys. You can't just say that that is not useful what he's doing there. But when you're missing that key piece and you don't see something coming up from the AHL next season or a bunch of young players and you get that kind of envy looking over at a team like Toronto or Edmonton in that sense and you see them on the rise with all these young players and you're just wondering what exactly is this general manager doing to set this team up for success in the future? Not to mention all of the pieces that he has for the now that he has to deal with uh, at this point. You've got a lot of questions moving forward as to what this team is going to look like next year. This team was built to win this year. It was a trade you make with P.K. Subban in exchange for uh, Shea Weber. That's a guy who's got a lot of future potential in exchange for a guy who's more of a win-now kind of player. You load up uh, with an Alexander Radulov, a guy who's going into a, a, a unrestricted free agency, and you have Carey Price coming to the end of a contract, which is reasonably priced, where he's going to be demanding a lot of money. So there's uh, kind of a transition happening here, and I know Mark Bergevin doesn't believe in the idea of windows to win, which is, you know, kind of an interesting one to me. You know, I could also believe that the sky isn't blue, but it is blue, you know. There are windows of winning, and the windows are what you set up with the contracts that you sign with the players. So, uh, well, he might philosophically think of it differently. There are windows to win, and the Habs one looks like it is closing very quickly as far as what you're going to get out of this group of core players. And like you mentioned, last uh, last year during the offseason, he made that big trade, uh, Weber for Subban. He went and he signed uh, Radulov to help uh, the team. During this offseason, do you see him potentially trading an impact player to try to get a, a big name to address the scoring? Well, I mean, you'd like to see something like that, but I just don't know how much value he has in the guys that he's willing to move right now. I mean, look at... Uh, Alex Galchenyuk. This guy was coming into a contract year, restricted free agent. I mean, maybe at the beginning of the year, you could have moved him for a big piece that would work out. But the way that he played near the end of the year, how much is this guy even worth right now? Another piece that you could move, Nathan Beaulieu, a guy who started the year as the team's top two pairing with Shea Weber, ended the year sitting in the press box uh, with us at Madison Square Garden. So, how much are you actually reasonably expected to get from him, even if you throw him in with a package of another player? Uh, Alex Radulov is a guy who's an unrestricted free agent, so there's no value 
and moving that player. So when, and then you talk about other people have mentioned to me, maybe trade Max Pacioretty, but that just doesn't make much sense based on what he's earning right now at around $4.5 million per season for a 35 goal scorer in the NHL. That's an absolute steal. And as much as you want to jump on Pacioretty for his failure to put the puck in the net in the playoffs, you also have to remember that you got to get to the playoffs as well. And a guy who can give you 35 goals in the regular season at $4.5 million per year is someone that you're just not going to be able to trade and get equal value for. So that guy's not going anywhere. So then you kind of go down the line and who else is there even left? I mean, you've got Shea Weber. That's a big piece. And you've got Terry Price. That's a big piece. So if you could move one of those potential guys for another uh, big pl- time player in the centerman position. I mean, that's an option, but again, you're kind of just shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic, creating a gigantic hole on one area to fill a need at another area. So from Bergevin's side of things, he's got to kind of get creative. Like he said, if he wants to make that big kind of move or, you know, start exploring some uh, potential uh, free agent signings. There's one name that is a uh, bit intriguing to me at I'm not sure how realistic this is and the fact that he just had a knee surgery is also concerning as well but you look at a guy like Joe Thornton that's a guy who can play up the middle yes he's old but if you can get him at the right price and if he wants to come play in Montreal it doesn't sound like San Jose has a big appetite to re-sign him and Patrick Marlowe maybe that's a guy you can bring in and can help you up the middle but right now they need help up the middle there's not really any pieces from the Habs team that I can see you packaging together to move to get one of those big-time players uh, without moving one that uh, really hurts your team in the longer term. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough for the Habs. You kind of have to wonder what now with this team because uh, you, the best-case scenario that you're kind of looking at, and I don't mean to sort of be too pessimistic here, is that you get the kind of core group back together again and you spin the wheel one more time. And you see that may hope that maybe the result is a little bit uh, different than what it was this time. And it's, it's not unreasonable to think that this team could still be playing hockey right now. I mean, they failed in that first round. They weren't able to score, but uh, you do need some breaks as well. I mean, look at what happened in game one between the senators and the Rangers, that goal that Eric Carlson scored from behind the goal line. I mean, the Habs fans must've been grinding their teeth, watching the good <laughs> fortune of that puck going off the back of Hendrick Lundqvist. They didn't get a bounce like that in six games, but the Ottawa mm-hmm. Senators got one, and now they're up one nothing in the series. So there is an element of uh, just unluckiness with this group that the Habs players had this year, and maybe the best-case scenario for this team is to just play it again, Sam. Let's see what we can do. I mean, they were a first-place team the whole way through. You got Price at a reasonable uh, uh, number next year. And uh, maybe you just hope for a couple more bounces next time, even though, I mean, I think if we look a couple of rounds down the line, when you run into a team like a Washington or a Pittsburgh, you're going to need more than just a couple of bounces to get past them. But that's certainly what took them down against the Rangers uh, this time around. So, so basically what you're saying is Alex Radulov is coming back next season. <laughs> well, I, I would like to see him come back. He was the most exciting player that the Habs had on their team offensively this year. Um, and it sounds to me like he wants to come back. He's a guy, I mean, I've asked him this, uh, I asked him this at the end of the season, how much it matters to him to play in a market like Montreal where hockey is number one. And he says it's one of his top factors. I mean, I personally believe that when he came to Montreal in the first place, 
he had other opportunities to go to perhaps non-traditional hockey markets on the table, but decided to come with the Montreal Canadiens at a price that was probably undervalued for him, at a term that was probably undervalued for him. Yes, he had all those uh, reputational issues when he left the league the first time, but I'm sure someone would have given him a a two-year deal. But no, he wanted to come to a market where hockey matters, where he gets on the ice every night and you have a full arena of rabid fans who are invested in the game. He's coming from playing in Moscow, where the team is also a kind of a number one draw there as well. And i truly believe that that is important to him he could go out there and maybe sign with a a team that uh, doesn't have that same level of interest from the fan base but if I'm Alex Radulov and if I'm his agent uh, we're maybe conflicting on what to do here because his agent's probably going to want to go out there and get as most the much money as possible but Radulov is probably a guy who you could argue would take a not a substantial but a hometown discount in a sense to come back to the Montreal Canadiens or to go to another hockey market like uh, Montreal not that there's anything quite like Montreal but another market where hockey actually matters I can't see him going to uh, a market like Arizona for example where uh, hockey isn't even number one two or three in that market so uh, for him I think it really matters that the Montreal Canadiens uh, organization is what it is and I think that's an advantage to signing him back but like Bergevin said, the numbers have to work. I mean, Radulov, he's going to be probably asking for more than the 5.75 that he was paid this year. And the term is going to be very important, as Bergevin said in his uh, closing press conference. 31 is not 25. So you can't be signing this guy to something, anything more than five years, and you're into really dicey territory. And I don't personally believe that the Habs are comfortable at anything more than three to four years with a player like Radulov. But I, it's, I'm betting there will be offers somewhere in the six to seven year range for that player, because look at what he created this year. I, I mean, his primary assist rates based on his uh, production were just beautiful. I mean, every time he had the puck, it just felt like something was possible. And there aren't a lot of guys in the Montreal Canadiens who give you that kind of level of excitement when the puck's on their stick. And on uh, July 1st, Usually, uh, Bergevin uh, does a press conference towards the end of the day, right after a free agent deadline. Uh, sorry, the free agent deadline has has started. Uh, Canadians go under Carey Price, big storyline during the off season. Uh, does he seem like you have more contact with Carey Price than our than us and our listeners? Uh, do you mm-hmm. think he's really happy to be here in in Montreal? Well, I think people could really breathe a big sigh of relief with just the way that he approached it on the final locker cleanout day, the way that he talked about making the numbers work, uh, the way that he approached that question. To me, we can put that kind of Carey Price will just walk at the end of the season talk. Uh, we can shelf that. We can forget about that. That's not going to happen. Carey Price, uh, there's no reason for us not to believe uh, what he's saying. Of course, there's always a negotiation going on. And from Mark Bergevin's side of things, the last thing you want is to have this hanging over the team the entire year. And he said it, his number one priority is to sign Price to a long-term deal as soon as possible, which would be uh, on July 1. But if I'm the agent for Carey Price, I would argue that that's not the best move. I would say that, you know what, we can wait. You'll be 31 years old at the end of next season, and the offers will be coming in from everywhere, and you could probably make double what you're making now, if not more than that. Let's see what the market brings for us. There is no other goaltender like Carey Price. That would be 
the argument there. But we'll see how much of a team player Terry Price is and how much he is willing to sacrifice. Is he more on the Tom Brady side of things where he's restructuring his contract every single year to make sure he's playing with the best players? Or is he a guy who's going to go out after the most amount of money as possible, like, say, a Carmelo Anthony, and forget the fact that we actually have to build a winning team around it? What he said to fans at the end of the season should give everyone hope that he is willing to make the numbers work for the team because he legitimately believes that there's a championship opportunity here in Montreal, and he will do what it takes to get that championship team here. And if that means taking a hometown discount, it's a possibility. If I'm his agent, I don't like hearing that at all. If I'm his family, I'm not sure I like hearing that at all either. But if you look at what Terry Price is going from with the five years that he's had with Mark Bergevin, you can also reasonably take the uh, approach that maybe he's not happy here. And I think that's, that was the thing I was worried about before I heard him speak. He's had five years with Mark Bergevin. He's had five years being the best goaltender in the world. And Bergevin has failed to deliver him enough scoring punch up front, do him justice. And maybe Carey Price looks at this situation and says, this isn't the guy to build the championship team in front of me. I'd be better off spending the second part of the prime of my career in a market where they have some pieces in front of me who can put the puck in the net and bring me to the Stanley Cup. And it wouldn't be an unreasonable argument for Carey Price to make. But the way that he spoke to fans, I think we can kind of – that's more of a hypothesis that I put out there. The reality of the situation is, and I'm going to take Carey Price at his word, that he wants to make this work. And I think fans should maybe relax on that and what he said is something that we can uh, – on July 1. If we are heading into training camp and Price doesn't have a contract, well, then we can start revisiting that conversation. But until that point, there's nothing that can actually be done as far as the contract goes. And the last words out of Carey Price's mouth was that we want to make it work. And I think fans can rest on that and rest easy on that because there's no reason for us not to believe Carey Price at this point. Well, let's hope that Douglas is right and that Carey Price signs a contract extension before the start of the uh, training camp. All right, I'll do it for the part two of our best of episodes. If you'd like to listen to any of our previous episodes, go to the Habs360 page on allhabs.net or search Habs360 on iTunes. I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in to Season 7 of the Habs360 podcast, which is the most informative and interactive podcast you'll find. Also, thanks to Rick for co-hosting and to all our guests throughout the season. We may be taking a short break for the off-season, but make sure to follow Habs360 and visit allhabs.net for the latest Montreal Canadiens news. My name is Chris G. You can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980 and follow Habs360 on Twitter for the date and time of our next episode. You know what? We may be back sooner than you think. Take care, everybody. For the latest news on the Montreal Canadiens, follow us on Twitter at Habs360 and visit allhabs.net.